be the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. That's where we were last week. And remember in Isaiah 58, the Lord had a fast that, that, that He has chosen. And the fast that God chose wasn't to bring us into bondage. That's what religion does. But it was to, to loose us, to let us do it with, with a joy and a peace. And so I think when we fast, guys, God does not only look in what we do, but even why we do it. There's reason behind it. And so fasting is a, a physical discipline that brings spiritual blessings, that brings spiritual rewards to all of us. So if you're here last week, one of our other main texts was Matthew 6. In that passage, Jesus himself list, listed three things that were characteristic of a believer. That you're a giver, that you pray, and that you fast. And in every one of those situations, Jesus didn't say if you pray or if you give her. He said when. And so right there, that tells us that that's not optional. Okay? That's something that Jesus expects out of us. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about what I put first in life will order the rest. Isaiah 58. We're going to jump into it a little farther this morning. Start with me in verse number 8. And these are some of the blessings that are associated with fasting. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. I wrote this down that the Amplified says that when you're in right standing with Father God, it will conduct you to peace and prosperity. Woo. You had a good chance to say amen. I received that one right there. That's a great blessing. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God's got your back. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If. If. Now. One of the things we're really going to discuss this morning is what I'm going to call the if factor, the IF factor. And if you'll notice there, there's a bunch of blessings that we just read, and you can study throughout there, that God wants to do stuff not only for you, but in you. But there is an if factor, there's an if clause in there. Now, it would be wrong for me to bring you in here and only start out and talk about the blessings, the desserts, without letting you know that, listen, if we don't get a hold of what the if factor is, none of the rest of this is going to matter. So what are you telling us, Pastor? Well, I'm telling you today, you're not going to get cinnamon rolls and German chocolate cake. You're going to get broccoli and asparagus, okay? And I believe it's going to help you to understand that there's some things that go along with fasting than just without doing without food. If you take away the yoke from your midst. One translation says if you take away the oppression, the perversion. In other words, the crud or the junk that's in our lives. He goes on to say, the pointing of the finger. The pointing of the finger. You know, when we start pointing fingers at other people, you know what that means? We don't have a real good love for them. He goes on to say, after the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness. And speaking wickedness. So he's telling you, if you get the perversion out of your life, the pointing finger and the speaking wickedness out of your life, then you open your door, your life up to these things. 
Now, the Amplified gives a better description of the last part where it says the speaking of wickedness. The Amplified says every false word, every harsh word, every unjust or wicked speaking. And so when we speak unjustly toward other people, usually every bit of that comes back to a root of bitterness and a root of resentment, which both are always the offspring of unforgiveness. Oh, pastor, I'm glad I came to church today. Well, it's going to bless you here. I really believe this, guys, that this is the greatest if factor in there. That if I don't learn to get my heart right, in other words, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, if I have bitterness, if I have resentment in here, you can, you can fast and pray for a hundred days. You can look like a skeleton, but God's not going to move in your life, okay? And I know that may sound hard and harsh, but that's the truth. If that wasn't the truth, why did he have this if in here? Now, to study this a little farther, let's go back into the New Testament. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I, I believe this, guys. If Christianity is about any two things in particular, it's about love and it's about forgiveness. And that was a reoccurring theme with Jesus over and over and over. Love and forgiveness. And when I talk about forgiveness, guys, forgiveness isn't a feeling. If you think there's going to be a warm, uh, uh, fuzzy feeling come upon you, it's probably not going to happen. Because it becomes now where you make the choice, you make the decision in your heart, I'm going to be a forgiver. I'm going to forgive people. And part of that is when you start stepping out and you start releasing them with the words of your mouth, God will start moving, He'll start blessing Now, here we are in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7 are what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of Jesus' greatest preaching, if you ask me. Begin with me this morning here in verse 21 of Matthew 5. And it says, And you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, now, all through here, if you read that whole chapter, which we're not going to do, but if you read that, you would see that Jesus would list the, the commandments, the law, and then he would always come back and say, but I say to you. And every time you find out where Jesus said, but I say to you, he doesn't lower the standard He always raised it. It always went to a higher degree. Now, I don't believe Jesus did that to punish us. I believe Jesus was saying, I want to bless you. When you begin to live the way I tell you to do, you better get ready. You know what I'm saying you better get ready for? The John 10.10. That life and that more abundantly that comes from obeying Jesus. So he says, but I say to you that whoever is angry, he harbors malice. One translation says he's furious and he desires revenge. With his brother, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says or insults, speaks insults to his brother and says, Raka. Now we don't go around saying Raka. 
But I looked at a bunch of definitions for raka. Now, this is going to help you right here. The first one says raka means to you be you empty-headed idiot. It's been a lot of times I think my wife has wanted to say raka to me. Another one says that you're the amplified, says you're a blockhead. So you get the drift. And so this is what he's talking about. He goes on to say, and you shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool, which is contempt of one's character, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now when you begin to look at this there, just in that verse alone, twice he uses the word says. If you say, whatever you say, whoever says, And so I believe here you could even qualify this under the terms of evil or wicked speaking that we were even talking about. And he says right here that the word anger remembers they desire or they plot revenge. And so that's what starts happening in us. And one of the things we begin to do when we harbor unforgiveness, we as people, we start yakking. Yak, and you want to locate people, just listen to them. And so Jesus right here is telling us, you better get a grip on the things you're saying. Verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, which he's talking about the church, that when we come to church on, on worship with the public, with the whole body of Christ, you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Now Jesus right here, guys, he was not insinuating in any way or implying that we're not supposed to come to church. That's not what he's saying here. Look what he says. First, first, and remember, what I put first will order the rest. First be reconciled, make peace to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus right here isn't telling us to stay away from the church. He's telling us to come to church. However, he's telling us that don't think just because you come to church that it will cover or fix all the wrong that you have in your heart. Especially unforgiveness and resentment. Because what did he say? If you've wronged your brother, you need to go to him. And so once again, I can fast for 40 days, guys. But if my heart isn't right, none of the blessings that are associated with the fast are going to ever occur. And when Jesus talked about forgiveness, he never put an asterisk mark by that. It was never attached. And so Jesus right here, he was telling us there's certain conditions you're going to have to meet. Look over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And look at verse number 9, and when you get there, you'll note that that's what we better known as the Lord's Prayer. Most of us in this room have probably prayed the Lord's Prayer willfully or maybe even unknowingly, but it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and this is verse number 12. And forgive us our debts, and forgive me my sins, my transgressions, my debts. Just, Father God, as I have forgiven those who've sinned, trespassed, trespassed, or debted against me. 
Now, I want you to think about that just for a second. If you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, you know what you said to the Lord? Father God, forgive me the way I forgive other people. And some of you say, oh me. Oh me. Now, I look at this and I think, this is what Jesus was prescribing here, guys. But if, if I'm not a person of forgiveness, God cannot forgive me. He cannot. And in Mark 11, verse 24, 25, 26, Jesus even says that when we come before the Lord and we pray, if I have ought against another and haven't forgiven them, God won't move there too. So I believe one of the greatest things for prevailing prayer is forgiveness. That if I don't learn to pray or don't learn to forgive, guys, my prayers will not prevail. Now, I'm going to skip verse number 13 here, and I'm going to jump to verse 14. This is at the left of the Lord's Prayer ends. And Jesus throws in this, and I believe he's saying, P.S. For if, and there's an if factor again, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. One translation says, that if you forgive others, and when it talks about forgiving, it says, if you leave them, if you let them go, if you take your grip off of them, then the Father God will let yours go. He'll leave yours and he'll take the grip off. But look at verse number 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now I believe when I read this, guys, this isn't something that's natural. When we're born into this earth, we don't come into this earth naturally wanting to forgive. This is something that you must pray to God and say, Father God, you've got to help me do this. Because sometimes people have done us wrong. They have treated you bad. They've used you, abused you, and falsely accused you. And you in the natural have a right to say, I will not forgive them. But once again, Jesus' standards weren't like that. Jesus' standards were way up here. Now, I don't believe he would have told us to do this if we could not do it. But listen, each one of us, guys, we're not just a recipient of forgiveness. We ought to be carriers. We ought to be distributors of forgiveness. This is what the Lord wants us to do. Now, go over one more book. To Matthew chapter 7. When I look at this, guys, Jesus wasn't endorsing a concept. He expects us to do this. And, and, and your freedom and my freedom doesn't depend on the resolution of others. It depends on the resolution of me. What I do. See, I can't control what other people can do. See, you know what many times we say, and you've probably said this or you thought this. Father God, I'll forgive them when they apologize to me. How many of you ever thought that? I think that all the time, Lord. Once they apologize to me, Father God, I'll, I'll forgive them. But if you know it in here, not one time did he ever tell us to do that. Or that's going to happen. Now, if that does happen, that's a blessing. But if it doesn't, i got to go ahead and do what's right. And so you can't base your forgiveness on what other people do. you just got to begin to obey the Word of God and say, Okay, Father God, help me in this. Help me. Now, when I first started doing this, guys, I'm going to tell you, it took everything within me to forgive people. 
It took everything. I'm telling you, there were times I wanted to pray the Brutus prayer, the mafia prayer. Lord, go break them at the kneecap. Get them. Get them. And I'm serious, guys. That was my thought. But I begin to look at the Scriptures, and all through Matthew, especially chapter 5, it talks about that we are to bless those who curse us. We're to do good to those who despitefully use us. And so one of the keys in getting a hold of this, guys, is you begin to speak blessings out of your mouth over them. Father God, I pray that you bless Bubba today. Now, when you first start doing it, it's going to take everything within you. Your mouth is going to want to shut up. I'm not praying that. But you begin to pray it. And you know what? When you give action to the Word of God, the Word of God will come alive. And so there were times when people would wrong me. I'd say, Father God, I bless them. I curse, I, I pray blessings over those who curse me. I pray good over them today, that your day today, their day today, Father God, is better than mine. And the longer I begin to pray that and speak that, the easier it got. Now, you know what the proof of the pudding was? When I saw those people again in person. You want to know if you're walking in forgiveness when you run into people at the grocery store that have jabbed you in the back and you go the other way? Probably a pretty good opportunity that you've missed a chance to walk in forgiveness. But if you're up, able to go up and speak blessings, now listen, guys, I'm not telling you got a vacation with them. That doesn't mean you got to go out and eat with them. That doesn't mean you got to go over to your house and watch movies, but it's a condition of my heart that when somebody else mentions Adam's name in a conversation, I don't get PO'd. Personally offended. Some of you jump into conclusion. I look and I bless them, Father God. Bless them. Okay? Now here we are in, in, in Matthew 7. And this is toward the end of, the, of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 12, Jesus said, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law of the prophets. This is better known as sowing reaping. This is better known as the golden rule. Right here. This is what Jesus expects out of us. But look what he goes on to say in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. And so Jesus right here, he's telling us that there's two gates, two roads, two highways. One is narrow, the other is broad. Now once again in life, Jesus may think, man, some of these guys, Lord, they're pretty hard-headed, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cheat on the test. I'm going to give them the answer. Look at the very start of verse 13, what it says. Enter by the narrow gate. So you know what Jesus is doing? He's told us the answer again. I'm going to make it easy for you. Enter by the narrow gate. Why did Jesus tell us? Because the road, the highway, that's wide, that's broad. What did he say? It's a road that leads to destruction. It's a road that leads to destruction. And how many people are on it? Many. Many. You know why I believe he tells us that? Because that's the easy road. That's the convenient road. That's the road of least resistance. That's the road where you can take shortcuts. That's the popular road. That's the road where the crowds are on. That's the road where, you know what, I can do whatever I want because I'm not accountable to nobody and I'm not under anybody's authority. So you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want. And so when I look at this, could the wide road, could that be 
When we get in our mouth and just speak whatever we want. I speak malice. I speak slander. I have evil, wicked speaking. I have habitual unforgiveness in me. See, when I live that way, Jesus himself said here, that is the road, that is the life that leads to destruction. And Listen, guys, on that road that leads to destruction, there are no detours around it. If you choose to go this way, you're going to live in destruction. Point blank, period. That's what's going to happen. But look what he goes on to say next. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Now Jesus right here, he was under no illusion that this life is easy. He never leads that on. Actually, he says it's difficult. One translation says this life is contracted by pressure. You know why? Because you're going against the flow. The majority is going this way and you're going that way. But you know what I believe it is? It's a life that I purpose in my heart. I'm going to obey Jesus. It's a life that I choose and say, okay, Father God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly every day. Every day of my life. You know, I've said this now for several weeks. I believe that this year will be a year of discipline or difficulty. I heard Pat Robertson say the other day it will be a year of self-control. And when I read this today about d- destruction, I sensed that. And so it's a choice we make. Which road do we get on? And look at, his, look, look at the last part of verse 4, or verse 14. And there are few who find it. There are few who find it. Now, I can tell you some things the narrow gate isn't. The narrow gate is not a, a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not a 30-second prayer. The narrow gate is not coming to church when it's convenient or I feel like it. But the narrow gate is one that says, you know what? I'm going to follow you every day of my life, Father God, to the best of my ability. And when I do blow it, I'm going to repent and I'm going to get back up. And I'm going to get back in the game. And I'm going to keep serving you. I'm going to keep serving you and keep serving you. In my own life, guys, for the first 20 years, I lived on that road called destruction. And it just didn't mess my life up. I hurt a lot of other people on the way. And so after 20 years, I figured out, you know what? I don't want to live that way no more. I like living this life. And to me, guys, it's not a struggle for me to serve God. I enjoy serving God. I enjoy coming to church. I like you guys. Some of you say, well, you're preaching today. Doesn't make us feel that way. Well, it reads the same for me. Look with me back into the book of Jonah. Chapter number 3. Jonah 3. And you say, where is that? Well, that's back in the Old Testament. And you're going to come to Amos and then Obadiah and then Jonah. And after Jonah, if you've gone past that, you're going to hit Mike and Nahum. Little bitty. The book of Jonah. Now, in studying this the last couple of days, this, this passage, man, I'm telling you, it has blessed me so much. It has encouraged me. I believe it's going to stir you guys up today. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. What happened the first time? Well, if you don't know the story, the Lord said to Jonah the first time, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh and re- uh, uh, 
Tell them if they don't turn from their ways, it's not going to be good. Tell them to repent. But you know what Jonah does instead? He blows God off. And he goes to Tarshish. And he gets on a ship. And while he's on the ship, all hell breaks loose. And the mariners are fearing they're going to, they're going to die. Well, they, they find out that the reason that the waves were rocking and everything was so bad was because of Jonah. So you know what Jonah says to him? Throw me overboard. So they throw him overboard. And you know what the mercy of God was? That when Jonah hit the, the water, this big whale came in and sucked him up. Now, a lot of you would say, oh my gosh, that's no good for a whale to suck you up. But you know what I believe that was? I believe that was God's mercy. You know why I say that? Because for three days when Jonah was in there, God had his undivided attention. Jonah couldn't watch TV. He couldn't get on a cell phone. There was no computer. He couldn't even leave to go to, to Furs for lunch. He stuck in there. And I believe many times in our life, when we don't heed what God has tried to tell us through His Scripture... Then sometimes it takes us getting into situations where God gets your undivided attention. You know, I shared this in the first service that um, I've been praying for a cousin of mine who's almost 40 years old now, and he went to court last week, went to trial, and uh, they convicted him, and he'll, he'll do about three or four years in the pen back in Oklahoma. And a lot of our family member was, was very sorrowful about it. Now, I didn't hoot and holler and say, praise God. But you know what I understood was happening here in his life? God's fixing to get his undivided attention. I believe this was the mercy of God. And the reason I say that, this was a, a guy who had been very successful in the world's eyes. He was, he was Oklahoma High School Offensive Player of the Year a few years ago. He started at OU in football. He was a model. For Dillard's. He was one that would pose and all that. So in the world's eyes, he had everything going for him. But you know what? He didn't serve God. And God kept trying to get his attention. And you know what I've, I've seen in his life all these years? He knew about God. He just didn't know God. And there's a huge difference. To, to, to be intimate with God. And so this is what's happening right here with Jonah. He's fixing to find out where, where his life's going to head. Keep reading. Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Thank the Lord he obeyed the second time. God is the God of second chances, okay? Keep reading. Verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So you know what he's telling them? Listen, boys, you guys better heed me because it's getting ready to get bad around here. Now, I'm going to highlight this again. But I, I like when it says forty days. You know what forty days in most situations in the Bible was? It was the day of completion. How do you know that? Well, think about that. How many days was Noah in the rain? 40 days. How many days was Moses up before God on the mountain? 40 days. How many days did Jesus fast and pray? 40 days. And so 40 days is a day of completion a lot of times. And so Mo, or Jonah right here is telling him, listen boys, you got 40 days to get it right. Now look what happens in verse number 5. So the people of Nineveh believe God. That's big. 
when we start believing God, when you read the Bible and say, I'm going to believe that right there because the Bible says it. Not because I said it, but because that's what the word... So they believe God. Now get this. And they proclaimed a fast. And they put sackcloth from their greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. Now think about this. This guy Jonah shows up. He tells them, boys, you better get right or 40 days it's over. They believe God. They begin to fast. All of them. From the littlest to the greatest. But it says here that they put on ashes and sackcloth. Now, a lot of times when you read that, we don't understand what that means, means, but that was in reference that they begin to mourn. The word mourning means they had an intensity for them to call out from God. Remember last week in Daniel 10, Daniel said, I was mourning for Israel for 21 days. It, it becomes a fervor within us that we call out to God. So that's the first thing, the sackcloth and ashes represent a mourning. The second thing, it represents repentance. That they begin to stand before God and repent of their sins. Think about John the Baptist. What was he always doing? He went about saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus himself over and over said, repent, repent. I believe that's big for us. What am I telling us that for? Because fasting isn't just going without food. Fasting is when I come in and I start judging my heart and I say, Lord, I repent of my sin. Now, guys, I've been going on this for seven days here. And I find myself repenting constantly through the day. And some of you say, well, pastor, are you that bad of a person? I don't know. I just want to be right with God. I've just got to follow God. Forgive me. Forgive me of the things I've done. Forgive me. Forgive me. And so this is what they begin to do. Keep reading. Verse 7. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Now he wasn't talking just for the people. He said, our animals aren't going to eat and drink either. We're really going to be committed to God. We're going to seek him. Verse 8. But let, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So you know what he's doing here? He's saying, come on up a little higher. What's the evil in our lives? What's the violence in your life? What's the things that you know in your life right now is sin that's displeasing to God? Now, you want to see how the Scriptures really tie things together? 2 Chronicles 7.14 says... If my people who are called by my name will humble and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, I'll heal your land. Now, you may not have ever quoted that. You've heard that, though. And many times in my own life, you know what I've said? Oh, Father God, we're going to humble and pray and we're going to seek your face so you'll heal our land. Well, that's great. But I left out one key ingredient there. He said in that, if you'll humble and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, I'll heal your land. See, so many times we want God to do certain things. But if we met the condition of the it factor, there is no promise in there that God's not going to, he's going to do anything unless 
we begin to do what they did. Where we come before God and we repent. We fast and then we look and say, Father, God, help me with all the sin in my life. Now, this is where it gets good to this passage. Verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works. Then God saw their works. You know what my thought was? Just exactly what did God say? That they turn from their evil way. That they turn from their evil way. And God relented from his disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Now I look at this passage and I think, wow. Because they fasted and prayed. God turned from, from his, the destruction he was going to do. That's true. And you see right here that, that they repented. And that's true. But I believe the big if factor is in here. That not only did they fast and pray and repent from their sins, but they turned from their evil way. They turned from their wickedness. You know what? That would fall in the category. In God's eyes, unforgiveness is wicked. It's evil. And I look at this, and when I read it, I think, I want God to move. I want God to move in my own life. But I've had to come in here and start judging my heart and say, Father God, what unforgiveness do I have in my life? What wickedness do I have in my life? And repent of it and turn from it and say, Father God, I don't want to do that anymore. Help me. Stand on your feet with me. Stand up here today. And some of you are saying, well, this isn't what we thought we were going to get today. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but only the truth will set you free. And so listen, guys, I believe this is a great thing. I believe this is raising the standards for every one of us to say, I got to look into my own heart. I got to look into my own heart today. Should you bow your head with me right now?